Welcome to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed this message by Pastor David Eldridge. So Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. Uh, Lent is the 40 days leading up to Easter, not counting Sundays, when we prepare our hearts for the resurrection. Uh, we started as a church trying to be intentional around Lent several, several years ago. It's just easy for Easter to sneak up on us. Like if I asked you right now and said, when is spring break? Most of you can tell me. If I said, when is Easter? You would say sometime in April. And that's, that's just, we don't have those cues. We know when Christmas is coming. It's the same day every year. Easter moves around. It's hard to know. And so Lent helps us prepare so we're not just kind of wake up one day and then realize, oh, it's Easter. We want our hearts to be ready to celebrate that incredibly important day uh, in our lives and in the history of the universe. And so there's some things that we want to do as a church to prepare. There's multiple ways that you can engage during Lent. You can grab onto whatever's most helpful to you. Traditionally, Lent, the 40 days of Lent kind of parallel Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness. So it's not necessarily like rainbows and butterflies for 40 days. It's a bit more somber. There's a bit more self-reflection. There's a, a heavier emphasis on repentance. Uh, in the early church, people that wanted to be baptized on Easter, the, these 40 days were a time again for them to, to kind of get their hearts right, to repent. If you committed a sin that got you kicked out of the church during Lent, that was a time to work on that so you could be brought back in uh, to fellowship. So again, there's, there's an emphasis on repentance and introspection uh, during Lent. And so fasting is a discipline that got connected to it. Uh, we just did a 21-day fast, and you may say, I'm, I'm, I'm good for the year. But uh, there are some opportunities for you to fast during Lent. And the way you can do that, 40 days is a really long time. I would encourage you to either, uh, there's multiple ways. Maybe you could pick a, a, a food group. Like, so for instance, I may say, I'm not going to eat any sweets or drink you know, tea or Coke for those 40 days. That would be a sacrifice for me. You may say, you know, I'm not going to eat breakfast. I'm not going to eat breakfast. I'm going to set aside that time to pray. Or I'm going to fast on the, the, the six Tuesdays of Lent. I'm not going to eat anything that day. I'm just going to uh, just drink. So there are different ways. I don't want you to hear, I've got to not eat for 40 days. That's not what we're saying. Or, or even something as um, stringent as what you did for that 21-day Daniel fast. That would be super intimidating. But there are some ways of fasting during Lent. Uh, if food, maybe you're thinking, I, I'm not ready to go back to that yet, abstaining. So fasting is not eating food. Abstaining is not doing other activities. So sometimes during Lent, people will abstain from TV or from social media or some other activity in order to have more time for the Lord. I would just encourage you, think it through, ask the Lord how he would have you engage, and think about something that's a, that's a bit of a stretch. It doesn't need to be so hard that you're kind of doomed to failure but something that's a bit of a stretch for you, something that's going to remind you of your need for God's grace, and that will start on, and I would say start Wednesday. That's Ash Wednesday. One of the great things about Lent, we're all Catholic during Lent because Sundays you get to do whatever you want. Sundays are resurrection. They call them mini resurrection days. And so if you're fasting on Sunday, you don't have to. Sunday, it certainly becomes the best day of the week for those of us that are Fasting, So you can keep that in mind as you're thinking about Lent. We'll have a Bible reading plan. We did this last year. It seemed to be pretty helpful to, to folks. Uh, and that'll be just a 40-day Bible reading plan, walking through some of the life of Jesus. Uh, we'll have prayer in here in the morning. 
uh, Monday through Thursday from 5.30 to 8.30. You can just come and drop in at any time uh, for as long as you want. There'll be some music playing in the background. We may have some scriptures up on the screen, but it's just a time, again, if you want to set aside a bit more time for uh, prayer and reflection, you can stop in at any time, Monday to Thursday, starting um, on, we'll start that. I'm looking at you, Kim. When? Wednesday. Wednesday. We'll start that on Ash Wednesday as well. And uh, we also have several ser special services that you'll see there on the screen beginning this week with the Ash Wednesday service. So just, I would say, do, do something. Do a couple of things that will help you prepare your heart for Easter. It's all, Easter is always a great day. If you've been preparing, it makes it uh, even more significant and special. So look for an So again, look for opportunities to do that. If you need any help, you can reach out to us and we'll do our best to try to connect you. All right, I'm going to read some from Mark 1, where we've been looking, just some introductory uh, elements of who Jesus is. He's the Messiah. He's the Son of God. Some introductory elements to Jesus' ministry, core message, the kingdom of God is near, repent, believe the good news, this core invitation, come and follow me. Those are the things that we've been looking at the past couple of weeks. Today, we're going to see uh, what ministry looks like. What's, it's a snapshot, kind of a day in the life of Jesus. What does it look like when the king has come? What does it look like when the rule and reign of God is near? And we'll see that through uh, three stories today. Verse 21, so it says, they went to Capernaum, they is Jesus, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. So Jesus and those four disciples, they went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went to the synagogue, and he began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about Jesus spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon is Peter. Peter's mother-in-law was in bed with a, with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. So three words for today, authority, power, and compassion. When we're thinking about Jesus the King... Authority, power, and compassion, those were some of his attributes. That's how he, he led with authority. He led with power, and he led with compassion. We see that in these stories. That's to me, is what's being communicated, again, through this snapshot of a day in the life of Jesus. So Jesus is in Capernaum. That's in Galilee. It was a city. Matthew actually says Jesus lived there for a period of time. Some people call it Jesus' city. He, he, a significant amount of his ministry takes place in Capernaum, it's a Saturday, that's the Jewish day of worship, and they go to the synagogue, which is like a Jewish church. So there's one temple in Jerusalem, 
And the Jewish people would go to Jerusalem three times a year to, to celebrate these three major festivals. That's where you brought animals for sacrifices. That's where you brought money for offerings. Your synagogue, it was much more informal. It took 10 Jewish men who were 13 and over to form a synagogue. And it was a place for prayer, a place for scripture reading. And for them, scripture was primarily Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Those five books are called the Torah. So it's primarily scripture reading and then teaching on those five books. There was a, an official in charge of the synagogue, but he was not the teacher. It was normal for a guest speaker, a guest rabbi to be asked to, to share. And that's what's going on here in Mark 1. Jesus probably is not the first time he's been to this synagogue in Capernaum. As an observant Jew, he was probably in the synagogue every Saturday. And again, no reason to think this was his first time there. And they invite him to share. And he does, and we don't know what he, we don't know what he says. Mark doesn't tell us one word that Jesus says. But he says the result of Jesus' teaching is people were amazed. Jesus taught with authority, and people were amazed. They were blown away. They were astounded. They were, uh, they were the, literally, they were knocked out of their heads. That's what that word means. Again, we would say they were blown away. Why? Because he taught with authority. He taught with this, this freedom to be able to make interpretations of the Torah. So it's contrasted, his authority is contrasted with the authority, your Bible may say the teachers of the law or the scribes. Those are two different ways of, of describing the same group of people. The scribes are the teachers of the law. They were professors slash teachers slash judges of their day. They were experts in the Torah. Professors, they studied it. Teachers, they explained it to other people. And judges, they made rulings based on their understanding of the Torah that could be binding for other people. So there's actually this entire, some people called it the second law. There's the law that we have in this book in the Old Testament. And then the scribes created what's called a second law, their interpretation of the Torah that then was just as binding. When Jesus talks about, and you see it particularly in Matthew, when he is wearing out the scribes and the teachers of the law, he says, y'all bind up heavy loads and you're putting them on people's backs and you don't lift a finger to help them. What he's talking about is all of these interpretations of the law that well-meaning people made. These are not wicked men. These are folks that love God and they love the Torah and they're doing their best to help people obey, but they've just gotten, they've kind of lost the forest for the trees. They, they, they've gotten so focused on external obedience, they've lost any connection in terms of people's hearts and there's hardly any emphasis on heart change. It's all about let's, let's make sure we're crossing all our T's and dotting our, all our I's and checking every box. And it's become incredibly burdensome. That's why Jesus says, my yoke, that's a, that's a metaphor for teaching or interpretation. My yoke is easy and my burden is light, as opposed to these burdens, which are heavy and which weigh you down. And there's nobody helping you to lift them. There's a contrast between Jesus' teaching style and that of the scribes. The way a scribe, his authority was derived, he would quote other scribes, other rabbis. He would quote precedent, and then he would build off of that. Jesus doesn't do that. The only time we see Jesus referring to other teachers, he's usually critiquing them. In the Sermon on the Mount, he says, You have heard that it was said, dot, 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 but I say to you, dot, dot, dot. What he's saying, that, that's what they've taught you. I'm teaching you something new and different. I'm not building on what they've taught you. I'm teaching, them, I'm teaching you something new. 
And it's a breath of fresh air for people. They're hearing things they've never heard before. It's still, he's still teaching out of the, the same books. But there's an authority, there's a freedom that he has, a, a, a power, we could maybe even say, that he has to, say, to, to explain the Torah in a way that for them is life-giving. It's not this heavy yoke. They're hearing things about that, that for them, again, it's, it's freeing for them. We don't, we don't have all the words, but that's the response of the people. So the people are amazed by what Jesus says, and there's a demon-possessed guy in the room, and he's alarmed by what Jesus is saying. This, a, a demon is a, a spiritual being, and, and he, that spiritual being has insight into Jesus' true identity. And he says, what do you want with us? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. And he's alarmed. I don't know if demons are afraid, but they, he's certainly alarmed by Jesus in the room and what Jesus is saying and what it means for Jesus to be there. That idea of calling Jesus the Holy One of God, there's this thinking that if you knew the name of a spiritual being, you could have control over it. And that's probably what he's doing. He's certainly not confessing anything about Jesus. What he's saying is true. Jesus is the Holy One of God. That kind of ties back to what we said last week. We can have correct information about Jesus and still not be following him. The, Jesus, uh, the demon has correct information, but he's certainly not a disciple and that's probably why he says his name. He's probably trying to exert some level of control, but it doesn't work. We see Jesus' authority in his teaching, and we see his power in this confrontation with the demon. He says to the demon, be quiet and get out, and the demon has to do that. That's not what it wants to do, but Jesus is stronger. And so he wins in this. It doesn't seem like much of a confrontation because all Jesus says are five words, you know, but it is. It's a, it, it's a conflict between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. It's a conflict between light and darkness, and light wins. Jesus says, says to this demon, you've got to be quiet and get out of this guy. And the demon has to obey, even though it doesn't want to. Again, you see the power of Jesus the king. He's a king who has authority. He's a king who has power. And the response to that, so that's done in a group. There's a, there's a, it's a public setting. We don't know how many people are there, but it's a public setting. And of course, word gets around. And so that night, when the sun goes down, a Jewish day was from evening to evening. So now it's Saturday night. The Sabbath uh, is over, so people can move about freely. And they all come to Peter's house to be healed. And Jesus responds by healing all of those who come to him and by driving out demons to all those who are demon-possessed. And in the middle of all of that, you have this interesting story about Peter's mother-in-law. It's, if you can say it this way, it's, it's the humblest miracle Jesus performs. He's in a house with just four other folks plus uh, Peter's mother-in-law. Uh, there, there's no fanfare. There's, it's not dramatic. It doesn't advance his mission strategically at all because, again, there's, it, it's done in a secret, kind of quiet, hidden way. What I see in that is the compassion of Jesus. He's a king with power and authority, but we see him moved with compassion, and that's something we'll see as we move uh, throughout Mark. Compassion, it's not, when we hear compassion, we can think pity, like kind of like bless her heart. That's not it. Uh, compassion in the Bible, it, it is a deep inward stirring, but it always leads to practical action. And sometimes for us, pity is really about feeling sorry for somebody. Compassion biblically is not that at all. It's being moved deeply in your heart and then doing something helpful for that person. Again, it's, it's the opposite of 
oh, bless their heart, where we just kind of say that and move on and leave people to whatever it is they're wallowing in. Compassion reaches out. When Jesus, he has compassion on people, he heals them. When he has compassion on people, he teaches them. When he has compassion on people, he feeds them. He's always moved to meet some practical need. So again, it's, it's not the same thing for, mo- for what most of us think of when we think of pity. And we'll see throughout the gospel, Jesus is often motivated by compassion. And that word's not used here in Mark 1, but that's what I see. I see compassion in him. Again, there's no, there's no strategic value in healing Peter's mother-in-law there, at all. That doesn't advance his mission as Messiah, king of the world, if what he's trying to do is kind of make a name for himself or build a platform or drive an agenda. But what we see is the true heart of this king. He is one who's powerful. He has authority, but he's moved with compassion. He heals a woman just because, because he's in the house and because she's hurting and because he loves her. And as we close this morning, we have a couple of minutes that I want you to keep in mind that Jesus that we see here in Mark, he's still the same. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He still has authority. He still is powerful. And he's still moved with compassion. So this morning, my question to you is, what do you need? What area of your life would you say, I would love to see the kingdom of God. Remember, that's the rule and reign of God. I would love to see the rule and reign of God manifested in my life in a greater degree than it currently is. It may be in your body. You may be struggling with a chronic uh, illness, some chronic pain, chronic sickness. And we want to pray with you that God would heal you, that Jesus would touch you and make you better. Healing is a mystery, but you know we don't have because we don't ask. And so we want to ask. We want to ask Jesus to show himself powerful in your life, just like he healed Peter's mother-in-law. We want to pray for him to heal you this morning. Some of you, you're, um, you're kind of bound up. I'm not saying that you're possessed by a demon. If you're a Christian, you can't be, but the devil can oppress us. He can wreak havoc in our thoughts particularly, but also in our emotions. And for some of you, if you were honest, you would say, my thoughts are kind of running away with, they, they, they're on this track and I, I kind of can't control them or I'm driven by my emotions that are negative, whether that's by fear or bitterness. We want to pray for God to set you free. He has the authority to do that. And we want to pray for you to walk in the fullness of the freedom that Jesus purchased for you. Again, I'm not saying that you're possessed by a demon. If you're a Christian, then the Holy Spirit lives in with you and he's not going to be roommates with a demon. But we certainly can be oppressed. We can be, we can be um, harassed. And we want to pray for anyone in the room who's feeling that way, that Jesus would set you free. He has the authority to do that. For some of you, it, it's, it's as simple as this word compassion. For some of you, you just feel overlooked. You feel like God doesn't notice you're hurting. And you may say, it's not really my body. I'm not really feeling oppressed by anything. It's just kind of my life in general. There's this thing, and I've been, it just, it's not getting any better. I'm asking God to get involved, and he doesn't seem to be getting involved, and it's, and it's frustrating, and, and you just need to be reminded that Jesus has moved with compassion for you. You need, to, you need to be reminded of the great love that he has for you, and we want to pray 
that God would make that known to you today. Jesus is the same, the same Jesus that we see here in the pages of Mark. He walks in the room today, and we want to take advantage of that. So I want to say a prayer. If you're on the ministry teams, if you'd come forward and maybe grab some oil in case anybody comes forward for uh, healing. Again, we've said this before, that oil is not magic. It's just a sign of um, what the Holy Spirit, we, we pray, is doing in, in your body. And I want to invite you uh, to go ahead and stand. Bo's going to come back, lead us in a little bit of worship. We have enough time for people to respond, and so I want you to. We've talked about this before. God's supply is infinite. So him, uh, we'll just say giving something to you doesn't mean he's not giving something to someone else. And so when we, when we have these kind of open invitations, it can be really tempting to say, well, whatever I'm struggling with is not that big a deal, particularly in comparison to somebody else's. And that's, that's irrelevant. God has enough for all of us. Think about that whole town gathers outside Peter's door. And Jesus heals every one of them. He has something for them all. So would you identify, I'm just asking you to do this, would you identify the place in your life where you would say, I would like to see the rule and reign of God more fully manifested. I want to see the king. Be the king. Not in a demanding or petulant way. But in humility and even desperation. If you can identify that place, I want to invite you just to come forward and to allow these teams to pray with you. There's a great story that we'll see. Uh, I think it's in Mark 2. There's a guy who's paralyzed and his friends put him on a mat and take him to get him in front of Jesus. That's all these teams are doing. They're just trying to bring you in front of Jesus. There's nothing magic about them either. That's all we're trying to do. There's times where we're the ones on the mat and there are times where we're the ones carrying. So Holy Spirit, I pray in all simplicity that you would move in the hearts and the minds and the bodies and the circumstances and the lives of the men and women in this room. I pray, Jesus, that you would show yourself to be the king, just like we're asking you to be the king in Ukraine. We're asking you to be the king in our lives as well. We surrender, we submit, we yield, and we pray that we would see your rule and your reign manifested more and more fully in our relationships, in our minds, in our emotions, in our bodies. So come, King Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. 